You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Luke chapter 4, here we go. So, what we're going to start doing in this series is something a little bit is um, we are not hitting every single verse. We're not preaching on every single verse in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, we could do that. It would take about 13 years, um, maybe 14. Um, so we are going to touch on, in each chapter, we're going to touch on a particular passage, but we want to read the entire book publicly. Um, the Bible actually exhorts us to um, give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Did you guys enjoy that? Just hearing the Word of God being read, engaging with the story? So each week, each Sunday, we're gonna, someone's going to come up and read the entire passage, the entire chapter, and then we're going to preach on a section of it. So today we're starting in Luke chapter 4. Uh, we did not start 1, 2, and 3 because we don't believe that those are um, supposed to be included in the Word of God. Are you guys awake? Okay, I'm just testing and see. Uh, I'm just kidding. I wish you could have seen the look on your faces, though. That was amazing. Um, no, we are, we're skipping that part because we just had Christmas, celebrated Advent. We did touch on a few of those um, passages. Basically, what happens is, as many of you know, Jesus the Messiah is born to a woman named Mary, a virgin. You guys with me? Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus grows up. John the Baptist is also born, who is preparing the way for the Messiah to come, baptizing people in repentance. And we catch one glimpse, and you may want to read this this week. It's very interesting stuff. Luke actually adds a lot more detail than the other Gospels. Shows a window into Jesus' life when he was 12 years old. Pretty amazing stuff. And so right before where we find ourselves today is Jesus comes to John the Baptist as well to be baptized. And you can read that in chapter 3 in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the voice of the Father confirming Jesus. It says that he was about 30 years old. Jesus was beginning his ministry, his public ministry, which would last for three years, all the way to the cross. So Jesus is beginning his ministry. The Father is confirming him publicly. This is my Son. This is my Son whom I love. This is the Messiah. Listen to him. And then we have the genealogy of Jesus, which is very interesting at the remainder of chapter 3. It actually gives the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam, the first man. Look what it says at the end, verse 38, right before our passage. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Because Adam was uniquely created by God. And then we have Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. First thing I want you to notice on here is that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. You notice that? Um, There's a concept that we call the Trinity. We talk about probably often enough. The Godhead consists of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son became flesh, as we see in the beginning chapters of Luke, took on humanity, 100% God, divine, 100% human, as we'll see in a moment, he identifies with our weakness. 
God the Father is fully God. Jesus the Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. One plus one plus one equals one. You guys with me? Okay. They are fully God, fully God. Jesus is not less than the Father. The Holy Spirit is not less than Jesus, but they have distinct roles within the Godhead. So we need to understand that going into this and the uniqueness of Jesus, that he was fully God. He wasn't 75% God. He wasn't 99.9% God. He was fully God. But he was also fully man, fully human. So when he's tempted, it wouldn't be fair if he was just fully God, right? He was also fully flesh, fully human. He felt the temptation, as we'll see in a moment. He felt hungry. This is an important concept to keep in our minds because Luke talks a lot about the Holy Spirit as he's, as he's uh, talking about Jesus throughout this book. So we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. I had, um, we just moved into a new apartment, and um, the, fir- the second week living there, Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door. So now the move-in is fully complete. Um, talked with them a little bit. I was really nice. I tried to be really nice to them. But I just said, this is what I always say right off the gate, right out of the gate. You don't believe in the Trinity. We do. Here's why I believe it's important. They don't. I think it's very dangerous, and you can kind of study a little bit about Jehovah's Witnesses, but you, you have to believe, as the Bible teaches, that Jesus was fully God in order to pay for our sins. Amen? He paid the price for our sins as fully God, took, paid the debt, but also fully man in our place. Okay? All right, that's enough for now. You guys look like your heads are about to explode. I'm sure most of you already know that. It says, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness. Here's what's happening here. <clears throat> this is actually alluding to a couple of things. First thing is, it's alluding to Adam in the Garden of Eden. You guys know the story of Adam and Eve? Right? God says, don't eat from this tree. You cannot eat from any tree in the garden, but not this tree. If you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Along comes, you know who? Satan, the devil. Tempts Adam, tries to deceive Eve, and they fall for it, and they sin, and they fail, fail the test. Here we see Jesus, Son of Adam, Son of God. Jesus is a type of the second Adam coming again head-to-head with Satan. But Jesus, we're going to see, doesn't fail. He passes the test. This is also an allusion to the Exodus. You guys know Moses led um, the Israelites across what? The Red Sea. Into the wilderness where they were there for how many years? Forty years. How long was Jesus in the wilderness here? Forty days. There's an illusion here. Israel failed the test. They were disobedient to God. Jesus will be obedient and fulfill, fulfill this. So we see both of these things playing here. This is why this is important, okay? Because as we're facing temptation, we're studying this today, so we need to understand that when you're... Anybody face temptation in here? Just raise your hand if you've ever faced temptation. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Has anybody ever failed and given in to that temptation. It's counter to God. Okay. Almost everybody. Some of you are perfect. That's good. I'd like to talk to you after. <laughs> as, we, as we're fighting temptation, we need to understand that there literally in your flesh is no possible way to resist temptation and to live a perfect life. There's no possible way. So as we study this, as we look through this this morning, we're going to see a lot of things that Jesus, in his example, shows us how to fight temptation. But we've got to understand that if Jesus hadn't 
passed this test, if he hadn't come through this perfect and untouched, if he wasn't perfect today, his sacrifice wouldn't have paid for our sins on the cross, number one. We'd have absolutely no chance of salvation. I want you to feel the weight of this. I was talking with my wife last night um, as I was going through it. We were just kind of looking through the passage together. And here's one thing that hit me. I don't feel the weight of this. I may have heard this before, this passage, this story. Most of you. Jesus is tempted. Satan tries to trick him. It's just kind of like, okay, I get that. Okay, there's a couple good practical insights for, you know, when I'm facing temptation, I could, you know, quote the word of God or do this or do that. Here's what really hit me and rocked my world. Do you realize that if Jesus had failed any of these three temptations, if he had given in to them, what would be the result? Game over. (laughs) That's crazy. Can you imagine being here in this moment watching Jesus and you're seeing that he's going to be tempted by Satan, you're going, you know what I mean? It's like watching a team in the playoffs or the championship game, and you're just like, my gosh, don't blow this, don't blow this. You know what I mean? Like, your entire salvation, the hope of the world, is riding on this. You feel the weight of that? It's insane. There's no, there was no plan B. God wasn't going like, okay, Jesus, if you fail this test, I got a backup plan. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, headed to the cross, and he's sweating blood, he's so stressed and so upset at what he's about to have to do, to take the sins of the world on himself, that he actually cries out to God and he says, God, if there's any way for this cup to pass, if there's any, basically what he's saying is, if there's any other way to accomplish salvation for humanity, this would be a great time to tell me. He wasn't in sin because he said, but thy will be done. Your will be done. What was God's answer to Jesus? It was a resounding no. There's no other way. Because God himself had to pay our debt for us. Because no one, no one can pay it. No one's worthy enough. There's not another human being on the, on the earth that could even pay for your sin. Just you, if it was just you in your place. Because they can't live a perfect life. He had to be God. He had to be 100% human to do it in our place because we deserve to die for our sins. That's the just punishment of God. We're dead. That should have happened to us. He stepped in our place. So everything is riding on this. This is crazy. Everything is riding. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this in his baptism. Preparing him for ministry. This is the promise that we have as believers that the Holy Spirit of God will fill us and live inside of us. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit. Where was Jesus led by the Spirit? The church. (laughs) Into the wilderness. We think of this as like forest. It wasn't. It was desert. It was harsh, harsh desert with wild animals. For 40 days, the Spirit leads him in here and it says to be tempted by the devil. Here's the first point I want us to take today. There's an overriding theme. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit as Christians. You guys know that? What do you usually think about when you think about being filled with the Holy Spirit? You kind of think good things, right? Like, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Like this magic pixie dust. Nothing can touch me, right? I'm floating through life. To quote one of my favorite bands, floating like a feather in a beautiful world, right? Filled with the Spirit. The Spirit will never let any bad things happen to me as long as I'm filled with Him because God would never want that to happen. Don't we tend to kind of think that way? I mean, that's kind of our default. Jesus begins his ministry filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads him. Where does the Spirit lead him? Into the wilderness, 
with no food for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, by Satan himself, the entire time. It's like, did he lose his direction? Did he not have his divine GPS with him? What's going on here? This is really important. God does this because he's, he is testing Jesus just like he tests us. But God never tempts us. He'll never tempt us. Satan does the tempting. But God is testing, and he's refining his faith, as we'll see in a moment. So let's go on. Verse 2. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I would be too. The devil plays on his hunger in verse 3, and he's, here's the first temptation, the first thing. Now, Satan's been around for a really long time. This is like his moment. This is like, this is the, the moment for him. I have a chance. I got the Son of God alone in the desert. He's weak and he's hungry. So what would you do if you were Satan? Here's what he does. If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't, you know, I would think that Satan would be like, try to tempt him with lust or, you know, try to do some of these bad things, right? Do something bad. If I can get you to do something bad and commit, commit a sin, a bad act, that's where I would go immediately. He's like, if you're hungry, turn the stone into bread. Does that sound like a bad thing to you guys? If I was Jesus, I'd be like, huh, why not? I could do, that's not a sin. Why is that such a horrible thing? What does Jesus do? How does he counter it? Jesus said to him, quote scripture, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. If you're really good at the Bible and you know where everything is, Deuteronomy chapter 8, love for you to turn there really fast, you don't have to. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. It's interesting, he's quoting a book that's about the wilderness wanderings and heading into the promised land. It's interesting that he's, he's in the wilderness for 40 days. Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years. That's what this whole book is about. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's what he's quoting from. We need to know the context. Why did Jesus pick this particular verse to combat Satan? Deuteronomy 8.1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Check this out that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, sound familiar? And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Interesting. What's happening here is God says, I led you through the wilderness to prepare you to test your heart, to see whether you would obey me or not, and also to give you something that you have never seen, that your forefathers have never seen, that no one's ever seen. Bread from heaven is what it was. To provide for you so that you would know that man doesn't live just by bread, by physical things, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what he, God was doing in Deuteronomy. Is he was teaching the Israelites to depend on him and to walk in a relationship with him and trust him. He says, I've given you my word. I've said I'm going to lead you into the promised land. I'm going to take care of you. Track with me here. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. That's my promise to you. And what did the Israelites do? They tried to take matters into their own hands. They didn't trust God. They didn't quite believe. In fact, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They didn't quite believe it. 
What did Adam and Eve do essentially in the garden? God said, you, ha- you can have all of this dominion over the whole earth. Just don't eat from this tree. God says, I will take care of you. God had always taken care of them. He'd never lied to them. He'd never let them down. Satan shows up, says one word, gets them to doubt. What do they do? They doubt the word of God and they, turn it, they, they disobey him. What is Satan doing here with Jesus? He's trying to get him to not depend on God. Depend on me. Listen to me. Turn that stone into bread. I love what Jesus, how he responds, because Jesus is saying, I didn't receive those instructions from my Father, and that's where I get my instructions, not from you. I love this too because I think we think a lot of Christian life, we're walking this Christian life, we're being tempted, and, and here's what Satan is, tr- is doing basically throughout, the, throughout history and throughout the world. He's trying to get us to do bad things, right? He's trying to get us to do naughty things. Ha I'm going to get you to do that. Do that. It's naughty. Do that. Ha ha, I tricked you. Now you did a naughty thing. Now a bunch of people are doing naughty bad things, and there's all these sins, and now Jesus has to come down and pay for all of our naughty things that we've done. Is that, is that true? Yes. But, guys, Satan's not just trying to get us to do bad things. What does he care? Why would he care if we just go do something naughty, given a temptation to do something bad? What's Satan initially trying to do here? He's trying to get Jesus to live independently from his Father, independently from God. What did the Israelites do is they lived independently from God. They stepped outside of the will of God and said, we, all we need is each other. All we need is what's right in front of us. And we'll take care of ourselves. We'll do, I don't trust that, that, that you're going to provide, God. That's what the essence of sin is, you guys. And that, guess what that leads to? Naughty things. <laughs> I mean, it does. That's what Satan's trying to do. So I want us to understand this because this even enters into how we share Christ with people. Um, Actually, where we're praying about going in Spain, the Basque people, it's very, very affluent. Like, what's very hard about reaching them is they don't need anything. They're not living in extreme poverty, dying. They're not dealing with social injustice, all these things. They're very, very determined people. They're good at business. They take care of themselves. They push forward. They have a lot. They're, they're taken care of. They don't need God. And guess what? That's a horrible sin. Because you might go, and what we tend to do is go, well, why should we go to them? They seem to be all right. I mean, they're doing all right. They don't really need anything. There's no one starving. There's no hungry children to feed. But if we really think about it, Satan, that's exactly what Satan wants. It's an entire people, an entire nation to live independently from God. It's a sin. What we're doing is choosing to turn the rock into bread ourselves and take care of it, and feed ourselves. We do it all the time. We feed ourselves with material things all around us. We take care of ourselves. We make sure that we're secure. I have this nice house. I'm secure, and I have this now. I have this job. I got this job for myself. You guys following me? It's hard stuff, but that's exactly what we do, and we begin to become dependent on ourselves and not on God anymore, and we're independent. We move ourselves out of the will of God. That's exactly what Satan wants from us, independence from God. That's what the essence of sin is. So Jesus doesn't give in to it. He won't even turn a stone into bread even though he's starving. He says, no, man does not live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by material things. That's not the essence of life, but every word comes out of the mouth of God, which you're holding in your hand. Second temptation, strike one. Verse five, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, so this is probably kind of a vision Satan gave him. 
sees all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, to you, all the, I give all this authority. I'll give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, Satan says, and I give it to whom I will. If you then worship me, it will all be yours. All right. Jesus says, it is written, quotes again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here's what I want to point out in this one. The first thing is, does Satan have some authority in the world? God did give him a measure of authority. He's the kingdom of the air, the, the God of this world. There's all these references in Scripture to him. He has some authority. He's, he's making things happen. When you follow him and you follow his counter-kingdom to God, right? you're obeying him. He's, he, he's owning you at that point. But here's the thing. is Satan always gives a half-truth, but he lies. He's a deceiver. Because can Satan really follow through with his promise? He says, all authority has been given to me, all the kingdom of their glory. It's all been given to me. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. I'll turn it all over to you. Well, immediately speaking, yeah, he could do that. And Jesus would have it all. He'd short-circuit the cross and have it. But whose is it really? (laughs) It's God's. Yeah, he's the creator. He owns everything. There's nothing that is not his. Satan's lying. He's giving this twisted little lie and trying to tempt Jesus in this moment of weakness and say, I'll give it all to you. What does he do with us, you guys? Same exact thing, doesn't he? Hey, if you, just, if you do this, I'll, I'll give it to you and I'll make you happy. You guys ever, does that sound familiar to anyone? You ever heard that before? And you're kind of like, huh, doesn't seem too bad. Okay. And, and then and what happens right away a lot of times? We're happy, right? And we're like, sweet. Well, next time he offers it, I'll do that again. That, that did kind of make me happy. I like that. Then we do it again and again. What happens in the long run? Are we really happy? No. And even if we are, even if we're happy every day of our life, <laughs> I don't know who these, if, if there's people that are happy every day of their life till they die. Maybe they exist. You're just, you're just happy. You're just floating through life every day of your stinking life, rejecting God, and you're loving it. And then you die in your sleep after a nice steak dinner. Okay? Wow, that's pretty sweet, dude. That's a pretty sweet life. What happens then? then? Separation from God, judgment from God for their sin. Separation from God, eternal punishment. Eternal forever. Absolute hopelessness. Here's their life. Eternity is like stretches. You, you can't even see both ends. This is their life that they live, this little happiness. Here's, what I, here's the point I'm getting at, guys. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. That's what Satan does. Live independently from God. Does God. Is God really making you happy? Dude, he just led you into the wilderness. Here you are filled with the Spirit. What good did you get out of that? I'll give you happiness right now. That's what he's doing here. I love what Jesus, he just quotes Scripture and gives a simple, simple verse. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. One translation says, um, serve him with single-heartedness. Like, that's it. I worship God. Even if what you say makes sense, I don't care. I trust God. He's never let me down. He's never steered me wrong. My life's in his hands. Strike two. Verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, 
I love this. Satan quotes scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. I hate it when that happens. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay. Satan quoting scripture. Does that not trip you out? Here's the first thing I want you to know today. Okay. I'm sorry to break this to you. Satan knows the Bible better than you do. He knows it better than I do. I guarantee you. He's been around for a really long time, and I guarantee he's reading it. In fact, he was watching it being written, seeing it unfold. And he especially read the parts about himself, which is interesting. When I was like, oh, I'm going to be bound and thrown into a lake of fire for all of eternity. That sucks. Somehow he just keeps, that didn't phase him. He knows this book. He knows what's happening. He was watching Jesus his entire life, waiting for 30 years to see him, get him alone in the desert and hungry. And where was he? He was right there, ready to roll. He knows it. He quotes scripture. In fact, this is very deceiving because you got to remember his name means deceiver. He is a very good liar. You guys, here's what we really do, like honestly, is like we imagine Satan to be like, He's going to come after me and he's going to have like these big old horns with a tail and a pitchfork. Hey, don't you want to sacrifice some goats? <laughs> come on, you know. Yeah, yeah, let's sacrifice some goats. That'll be awesome. You're like, eh, that's cool. I'm not into that, you know. Like, like, dude, he's not stupid. <laughs> he probably loves that we betray him that way. The Bible says he comes as an angel of light. What does that mean? Is he, he tries to pretend like he's this nice, beautiful angel. And then he comes and you see that, and then he tells you things like this. He's quoting Psalm 91. And it's a psalm about the righteous person, the person who trusts in God, that God will protect him and take care of him. That's what the psalm is about. If you entrust yourself to God, he will take care of you and protect you, whoever dwells in the shadow of the Almighty, right? Satan says, hey, okay, if you're the son of God, he takes him up to the temple, and most scholars think this was a point called the royal porch, on the southeast corner, and it was about 450-foot drop into the Kidron Valley, which is a very long ways down. Stands him up on top of this. We don't know if he was physically there or if it was some type of a, a vision or if he was brought there. We don't know, but he puts him there and says, hey, okay, do you believe the word of God? Do you believe, hey, Jesus, do you know Psalm 91? Do you believe it? Okay, it says if you throw yourself off, he'll command his angels concerning you right? You won't even strike your foot against a stone. Which, have you ever struck your foot against a stone? Ouch. I hate it when that happens. I mean, it's, it's like, like, that's not that bad. You won't even strike your foot against, like, that's horrible, but nothing will happen to you is what they're saying. Not even, like, stubbing your toe. He will take care of you. So go ahead. Do it if you're the son of God. Do it. What's so bad about that? Well, ultimately, he's, he's very subtly taking the scripture out of context, and here's how Jesus calls him out. He says, hey, okay, you want to play the scripture game and sword fight with our swords? It also says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's testing, he'd be testing God by doing that. He's putting God to the test. That's a sin. Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's exactly what Israel did is they tested God in the wilderness. They tested him. So he's, Jesus turns us around. This is the irony of this whole thing. <laughs> this is what I love about this. 
Jesus says no to Satan, right? And what does he do essentially by doing that? He's fulfilling Psalm 91. He's entrusting himself to God, and God's taking care of him. Isn't that beautiful? Turns it around and actually fulfills the psalm. Satan will do this when he comes to us, as he'll quote scripture. He knows the scriptures. He's very, very subtle. When Jesus was baptized, what does God the Father say over him? He says, this is my who? Shout it out. My beloved son. This is my son whom I love. He's saying to everybody, this is my son. I'm telling you right now, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. What, what are two of the temptations? How does, how does Satan begin the temptations? What are the first phrases? The first and the last. If you are the son of God. What does Satan essentially come at immediately? Jesus' identity. God just confirmed it. Yes, this is my son. I love him. Satan's like, if you're the son of God. It's interesting, he doesn't attack his messiahship. He attacks his identity as the son of God. That's what he goes after. That's what God has said over us. If you trust, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a child of God. Jesus says, you are my child. I love you fully. Did you know that? The scripture says that? That you're fully loved by God. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you because Jesus Christ gave his life in your place. And God was satisfied with that. And he loves you completely. You don't need any, basically you don't need anything else. It's the Israelites going into the promised land. God's like, you don't need anything. I'll provide everything for you. He's provided everything for us in his son and said we're a child of God. What does Satan do immediately after that? When we understand that. What's he going to do when you go home today? <laughs> Are you really a child of God? Does God really love you? Has anybody ever experienced that? I'm raising my hand because I actually have. I struggled with that for a very long time in my Christian life. You can ask my wife in the back. That... I really just didn't, for whatever reason, I don't know if my daddy wasn't there or what. I mean, I don't know. Bottom line is, I just, it's hard for me to believe that God really loves me fully, me. Oh, he loves us as the people of God. He loves the church. And I actually went to uh, my pastor one time and just said, dude, it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere that God loves me. Right? Yeah, I thought I was pretty smart, right? I'm like, unless you can show me something different. Yeah. He's like, oh, how about Galatians 2.20? I'm like, oh, what does that say? Let's read it. Galatians 2.20, check this out. It's my life verse. I should be able to find it faster than this. But, yeah, here we go. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I was like, um, I gotta go. <laughs> Thank you for that. God does love you. He loves us as the people of God. He gave himself for our sins. He loves you completely. Satan does not want you to believe that because it affects, we can unpack it, we can't do it this morning, but it affects so much in your life when you don't believe that. He doesn't love you because you're so great or you're good looking or you're talented. He loves you because he created you and he made you his own and he alone redeemed you and saved you. It's exactly what Satan did with Jesus, exactly what he does with you. As you go home, and then he says, does he really love you completely? I mean, look, look what you did last night. Look, look what you did today. He's pretty pissed at you. I don't think he loves you anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what he does. 
Jesus' response, the word of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall worship him, serve him only. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus is saying is, I trust God's promises to me, and I trust his word. I just read some of it to you. I trust this word, and I'm going to follow it, and I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. Because, guys, when Satan tempts you, he's not going to tell you to sacrifice goats. It's going to be very subtle and very deceptive, and we give in to it all the time. God's saying, I think, predominantly today is, trust in me. This is the verse I want to read to wrap it up, and then we're going to worship. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 just gives a beautiful picture of this coming off of this passage. Hebrews 3.16. He says, actually, what am I doing? Oh, I'm sorry. 4.14. Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's what this is about today. He knows what it's like to be tempted. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace, favor of God to help in time of need. Skip down to uh, verse 11. Verse uh, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. We're going to watch a short clip in a moment before we worship. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is as he's going to the cross, and he's sweating blood, and he's crying out to God. So as he offered up prayers and supplications, Satan is right there tempting him again. He offered him up to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's the key. And being made perfect, he became the source of, of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. At the end of our passage today, it just simply says, after the devil struck out, three strikes you're out. The devil, verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He was waiting for another time to find Jesus in weakness. And guess when that was? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came to him. But Jesus secured salvation for us. He remained without sin. He went steadfastly to the cross to pay for our sins as fully God and fully human. He gave himself in our place. That's why we're doing what we're about to do. Some loaves of bread up here. Some wine or juice. And uh, we're going to take that to remember the sacrifice of Christ's body for us on the cross in our place. His blood was spilled in our place. And that's what brings us salvation that he died, paid for our sin, and God raised him from the dead. Guess where he is right now? He's, in, he's among us. He's listening right now. There's our prayer. And he can sympathize. When we're crying out to him in our prayers, and we're hurting, he understands what that's like. Isn't that amazing that we have a God like that? He went through it as well. And he is there, and he is able to save us if we trust in him. Let's watch this together and just prepare our hearts to worship. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at